You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm Scott Dworkin. It was my privilege to speak with the one, the only Tom Arnold this weekend for about an hour to ask him two out of the four questions we prepared for our scheduled 10-minute interview, which turned into an hour. Tom is the kind of man who not only answers the questions you don't get to ask, but a lot of questions you never dreamed of asking in the first place. And this interview is littered with revelatory details from Trump hiring hush money lawyer Keith Davidson to how he lures in unsuspecting public figures with barbs to how he navigates the high-stakes world of media where lawyers decide what runs and what doesn't based on how scared they are of being sued by Donald Trump. Let me preface this interview by saying that Tom Arnold is not only amazing, but he's got an eye for detail and the kind of photographic memory for situations that few other people demonstrate. But that's not what it takes to do what he's doing for his new Viceland series called The Hunt for the Trump Tapes with Tom Arnold, which premieres with a double episode release from the eight-part series on Tuesday night, September 18th. What it takes to hunt these Trump tapes is beyond mere mortals. You would literally have to be Tom Arnold, who's been swimming with these sharks for a long time, and you would have to have a 30-year relationship with Donald Trump in the entertainment business, and you'd have to have a relationship with Mark Burnett, the father of modern reality TV, and you'd have to know how these people do business because you've been on both sides of the camera and you'd have to be fearless enough to do what it takes to poke the bear, to tangle with the world's most litigious people who all have big money ties to Russia where they do their business deals and the one thing they want to avoid being exposed the most is their ties to Russia. Luckily, we have an hour's worth of Tom Arnold's time to share with you in three bite-sized, easy-to-listen episodes that we'll be releasing this week. Periodically, I might have to break into the discussion to highlight each of the bombshells that Tom dropped, and that we'll get to see on the screen during the eight episodes of his upcoming television series, which will feature footage with incredible reporters like Ronan Farrow and Jane Mayer from The New Yorker, Mike Isikoff from Yahoo, and David Korn from Mother Jones. But to start with, we wanted to share Tom's description of his close encounter of the first kind with Michael Cohen at New York's Regency Hotel, where he stayed on the same floor as Trump's personal lawyer. This is the story of the day that Michael Cohen abandoned his godfather and his place as consigliere to Donald Trump, and ultimately led to him dropping a major Trump tape exposing Donald Trump's intimate knowledge of the many hush money payoffs being made to sustain his foreign agent-infested political campaign for the presidency. Here is part one of my three-part interview with Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold, how are you today? I'm good, Scott. How you doing, brother? I am doing great. I am doing great. I'm looking forward to your new show. How are things going for you right now? Well, they're going, uh, they're going fine. You know, we, uh, uh, we went to Monster Jam, me and, uh, Jax, my five-year-old yesterday. That's, uh, 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 these, uh, you, you know, these trucks, these monster trucks. It's a competition with the Staples Center indoors, lots of giant trucks. Uh, we had a great time doing that. And, and, uh, today, me and Quinn, my two and a half year old, uh, Jax were in the pool. In between that, doing a lot of Twitter, saving the world, editing my show talking to you um you know it's uh it's business as usual around here at the arnold house 
Uh, but it's good to talk to you. You know, I'm not doing interviews until my show comes out. Right. Uh, but I'm talking to you because you're the best. You're on point. You know, I, I you know, I, I sometimes wonder. You know, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know what's going on. They they they're blessed to be completely you know, immune or they just, they go about their lives and I can see them out the window. I live in Beverly Hills and I see cars driving by. They don't know. They're oblivious. They, they don't know that we have this monster in the White House who's literally not just destroying the environment that we live in here, and, uh, literally, but, you know, it's, it's taking, looting our treasury and selling us off to the, to Putin, literally, and and they're just going about their life, you know, and, 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 and you know, I people like you and I are like, oh, my God, Benedict Candid is on fire, people. It's literally burning here, and we have to do something, but... You know, it's most people are just kind of, you know, cruising along. And, and but it, it is important, you know. And it's nice that I look out and see a guy like you. That's what I feel at my craziest. I'm like, oh, there's Scott. There's working. He's still <laughs> he's doing it. So, and he's not crazy. He's I, organized. Two years ago, he's thoughtful. It, it seemed like that two years ago, though, when I was talking into you know a, a brick wall. Uh, and people look kind of, uh, I mean, crazy about, you know, I'm like, oh, you know what? I think that he's actually been involved with the Russians for 30 years, yada, yada, yada. And people would look at me like, hey, Scott, you know, uh, chill chill that out. You look a little bit little, little nuts right now. And I'm like, well, I, I, I haven't gone even full crazy yet. Um, but I'll tell you what, anybody who steps up for a democracy like you, anybody who comes out and, and pushes no matter what kind of thing that they're doing, um, you're helping to expose more stuff, so more power to you, and I'm going to give you full support and applaud for that because you deserve it because not many people have the strength or courage to do that. And so thank you for stepping up and doing that. Uh, and your your show, what is your show going to be about? Well, the two things. I have to say my wife is a big, huge fan of yours and, and uh, her friends, and I often get uh, – my wife is just uh, – you know, she knows I'm a – a crazy person. I mean, she's believe me. She's on, she's on my my side, and she's been here through all the Trump stuff. And she's, you know, it's it, it's a lonely business sometimes. And and uh, but you know, I'll get little uh, texts from her. Did you see what uh, Scott Dworkin uh, tweeted? You should read that tweet. You should read that because she's because <laughs> you're a you're 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 like a respected uh, crazy person. <laughs> like she, you should read you should read what he he wrote today or whatever. Like she always directs me to that. And and so my my. Show you know I uh, my history with uh, Donald Trump you know he's a guy that I met thirty probably about thirty years ago I did a Roseanne and I did a, a HBO special at Trump Castle and so you know did we had to do the business of I had to do the business of of negotiating that with with him and, and filming there and, and us at HBO and so I had a little little taste of what doing business with him was like and, and you know he was he was Donald Trump and this is. You know, this is also uh, around the time he started going to Russia, I think in 1987. This is probably 88 or maybe 89. I can't remember. Right. And so there wasn't any – I wasn't aware of that. But I was aware of Donald Trump, the New York uh, business guy, and he was a fun – had this fun image. And, and But, uh, you, you know, a lot of things with him, you kind of look back and say, yeah, well, that's – you know, also you don't think of him as the president at the time. So – this episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. 
Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Tom Arnold talks about how he became acquainted with Michael Cohen. You know, I do this thing where I tweet at people and then I get them to call and threaten me. And then I kind of lure them in. And that's how I got to know Michael Cohen is I tweeted ab- about somebody that was with Trump in Russia in, in uh, 2013. And so then I got a legal cease and desist threat from, uh, from a guy named Keith Davidson that, that uh, Jane Mayer and I were waiting for that to happen to see because Keith Davidson represented uh, 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 Trump's interests with uh, Stormy Daniels and with uh, Karen McDougal. We wanted to see if he also hired Keith Davidson to represent his interests with anything to do with Moscow and Putin and Russia, because that would be an issue for Robert Mueller. We wanted to see if, if he was having him involved with obstructing justice with the Mueller case, and we set that up where I would do something that involved uh, Moscow and Russia in 2017, and they he just fell into the trap of the Michael Cohen uh, had had him hire Keith Davidson, and there's a whole trail. And then we had uh, checked with the White House, checked with Hill Picks if Trump paid for it, and we got a not confirm or deny, which is a confirm. And so, you know, as uh, you know, with Mueller, you know, it's just <laughs> they're just so they're also so dumb over there. Now Tom Arnold goes over the infamous N-word tape. You know, it's uh, very very excited, and you know, at the heart of it, on my show, a lot of you know, mostly women have very brave come forward. And, uh, you know, uh, as far as The Apprentice, I've got seven on the record confirmed people that have come forward. And, and, you know, we're still filming. And it seems like it's about hearing it, Edward. It seems like it's about all this. I can tell you today where you could find all the tape in three different places. And, and, uh, and then I can tell you probably five other ways that you could – can hear it because there are a lot of people that have sampled the masters. There's three different places where the the corporation has the masters where they have to be because it's a legal obligation to tape Trump anytime he talks to producers because of the game show laws on a show like that. So it's the same way with not that I've talked too much, but Tom just dropped a double bombshell there about the game show laws and the ways NBC's Apprentice was produced by its lawyers to make sure that Trump wasn't cheating by throwing the competition on his TV show because that is illegal and can result in fines and even imprisonment. Not only are there archival records of Trump tapes from throughout his run on NBC for that reason, but they're probably being maintained indefinitely because of that federal law preventing rigged contests in contests of knowledge, skill, or chance. It's Title 47, U.S. Code, Section 509. The FCC has a whole page about it on their website. Not only would this be a reason that The Apprentice's producer, Mark Burnett, has a massively extensive collection of Trump tapes for the show, but as Tom Arnold reveals, this has major implications about Donald Trump's use of the Miss Universe pageant to achieve whatever goals he was seeking which he says included a pretty overt way of sucking up to Russian President Vladimir Putin in 2002 by selecting Russian contestant Oksana Fedorova, rumored to be Putin's girlfriend, as the pageant winner, 
until she was unceremoniously dumped for runner-up Miss Panama shortly thereafter. You know, the Miss Universe, for instance, 2002 Miss Universe pageant, Trump asked all 10 judges to pick uh, uh, Putin's girlfriend to win, which they did. But every time he approached the judges, they had to film that, they had to record that because of these laws. So it doesn't look like, you know, somehow it has to look like the judges are doing it. I I don't know how this happened, but when the judges started, uh, it started with one judge saying, you know, I need to talk to you off the record, I need to talk to you. And then as the more Trump, the, the crappier he got, then he got towards Helsinki and people were like, oh, my God, he is yeah, the Putin thing is real. Then people started sharing more and, and higher up the chain. And so it, he may go down by violating game show FCC rules. But however it is, you know, uh, you know, that's that's how it is. Now, Tom Arnold talks about Mark Burnett and Donald Trump's knowledge of the N-word tape. And, and my thing is, I'm just keeping going forward to see these tapes. But along the way, you know, you know, it, it's uh, a lot of things are happening. And there are you are hearing tapes. You heard the tape from Michael Cohen. You are hearing, you know, you you're you're certainly hearing a lot of people talk about Edward tapes. And you're hearing Trump deny there's Edward tapes. And last week I was on to a tweet where he said Mark Burnett called him and said there was no Edward tape, which is impossible. And Mark Burnett will not confirm that, who's his best friend. So I kind of got him where I want him. And also, there's uh, there's one person, two people that have never called me a liar. I mean, a lot of people call me a liar about this stuff, but there's two people that had never have, Donald Trump and Mark Burnett. And so um, <laughs> that seems weird because I have called them out a lot and given specifics. And the two people that actually know the truth have never publicly or privately called me out. And so take that for what it's worth. Tom Arnold told us that he doesn't expect privacy when he calls the longtime producer of NBC's The Apprentice because Mark Burnett records everyone all of the time. There's a segment of footage that won't appear in his upcoming show on Viceland, but in this segment he describes what happened pretty carefully, and he's got a point that neither he or Burnett expects privacy on their phone calls. Did you did you have any interesting? I know you had met with Michael Cohen. Was there any interesting thing that happened during that meeting? Well, you know, the the thing. Oh my God, that was so funny. Okay, so what do I call it? So you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it was funny because the the Rolling Stone writer had come back and we'd we'd wrap shooting for the day. It was I think it was a. Thursday, we were going on Friday, and we shot some stuff in New York and some interviews. I think I interviewed Scaramucci and some people, and and I was talking about uh, telling him about, well, you know, so there's there's also a distance, because, you know, I'm filming a TV show, so everything on the TV show has to be approved. So if I got a, if I got the PB tape tonight, I couldn't air it on my TV show. The lawyers would be like, oh, we have to, you know, or if I got footage that I'd stolen from The Apprentice that was their footage legally, 
the lawyers would be like, oh, we can't hear this unless we get Trump to sign off on it or Mark Burnett. Like, really, that's the weird thing about doing a TV show. Like, I'd have to put – like, I I had – I called – before I went I do this, I went down to Mark Burnett's office as a crew. And before I did, I said, well, i got to call his – they go – in the, in the rundown, I said, we're, okay, call Mark Burnett's office, and then we're going to go to – I go, okay. Uh, no, I said, I really am going to call his office. First of all, I don't want anything fake on the show. I have a big – I know these guys are used to doing reality shows that I'm filming with, but everything has to be real because it has to be real. I said, first of all, I know Mark Burnett, guys. I keep having to say that. First of all, I'm, I am Tom Arnold, <laughs> a real person, so I, I see my name on this this schedule here, but you have to genuinely – you know, I have to remind these guys. So I said, I'm going to call Mark Burnett for real, so roll your cameras here. So I call him. I have his new private cell phone. I put it on speakerphone in my office. I, they filmed me calling him. And he answers the phone. I, 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 he's like, hello. I go, hey, it's Tom Arnold. I go, how you doing? He goes, oh, I'm kind of busy. I go, hey, listen, man, I'm gonna, uh, I want to talk to you about my new show. He goes, oh, what new show? I go, the Trump, how for the Trump tapes? Like he pretending he has no idea what it is. I go, hey, I want to come down to your office to talk to you about it. He goes, oh, I'm busy. I go, no, I'm coming down to the camera. Okay, what? He goes, no, that's not a good time. I go, oh, can I play this interview on my show? He goes, what? I go, can I play it on my show? He goes, no. I go, yes. He goes, no, yes. Anyway, for the whole thing, and then hang up, and then. I say uh, I, I need to get a copy of that right away, and they're like, oh, we need to go back to the studio. And I can tell they're going to tell the freaking lawyer they aren't going to let me have a copy of that. Cause was, and then the, the one producer like, well, you know, that would be wiretapping if you, if, you put the, if you tweeted that, Tom. And I'm like, oh, these guys are working against me. They aren't going to – so I actually uh, take my iPhone and take it off the side of one of the cameras, and then, of course, I tweet it <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, my whole point is I want Mark Burnett to, to, to call the FBI. I want him to – well, what I do he do is have his lawyer call my lawyer because Mark Burnett has called my house with Donald Trump and taped it and shot it for his show. It is part of his show. Everything they do, every call they make. They, they videotape, they audiotape for The Apprentice. That's part of the extras of that show. That So they sit together in a room, get on the speakerphone and start calling people, and they, they record all of that. So I was going to say, oh, I thought there was a precedent for calling back and forth between me and Mark Burnett since he's done it for the show, and that would be my way to get the phone call of Mark and Trump calling me for my show. Yeah, I would say that. I'm trying to get content for my show. I thought it was appropriate. I didn't know it was a wiretapping. You know, that that's sort of how I have operated. And and so anyway, they eventually started freaking out so much I took it down, but I'll probably put it back up. But anyway, so this episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Michael Cohen was in terrible trouble by late June, but he still had him flipped on Donald Trump. That's when Tom Arnold visited the Regency Hotel in New York City, which happens to be the same hotel where Trump's former personal lawyer, fixer, and bagman has been staying with his family due to construction at their apartment. Maybe visited isn't the right word. More like hunted down with good intentions and a camera crew. Either way, the transcript of Tom Arnold's recollection of the day that Michael Cohen flipped on Donald Trump, which he shared on this show and you're about to listen to, will go down as the first draft of history as the day that the Trump presidency went from teetering to terminal. 
What, what did you ask me? Something about Michael Cohen, just about the. Oh Michael yeah, Michael Cohen. Cohen. So like, yeah. anyway, so I'm sitting there and we've they've wrapped and I I'm sitting there with Brian Hyde, the lobby of the Regency. And I was explaining that that I I like to stay at the Regency, but I like it anyway. I always stay there. And that you know if you stay, you know that Michael Cohen. I, I was trying trying to explain to Vice that I need I want to stay there because you know I want Michael Cohen was there and and you know I knew he was there and I knew you know I know I've stayed there a lot and I know the people that work there and I sort of, I, they're like, Oh, he's going to the gym. And so and you never know if he's telling you or, or to meet him in the gym. And I, and since he, since he's with Trump, I assume he is, and I, everybody knows what they're doing if they're with Trump. So anyway, I'm kind of talking about it. And Brian's like, there's so many coincidences in your life with Trump. And I, I said, yeah, uh, Michael Cohen is right out on the side like now. And he's like, no. And I said, yeah. So I ran up to the front door he walks in. I'm, I'm squaring up. I'm like, this could be bad or it could be good, but either way, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a conversation here. So it ends up. You know, he walks right in the front. We end up having a nice conversation. And I notice all the people around Trump. You know, they're all scared. They're all like. You know, you hear these stories of these guys, and they've all been really shitty to people. And then Michael Cohen's been really shitty to people. He's threatened people. You know, you've heard him threatening people for Trump, and and you know, trying to be a badass. But they're all pussies, and they're 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 you know, I worked at a meatpacking plant. These guys could not hack it. Trump could not hack it. He is not a badass. You know, he's you know, so. You know, I see this, and then we have a nice conversation. And Steve Tish is my, you know, he was my best man. He owns the Regency. He knows Michael Cohen. You know, he gave him a good reference, and so I use that. You know, and it's gentle, and I do have compassion, but I want the guy to flip, and I want him to flip like now, and I think it's a good time for him to flip. And so Brian's there, and I ask him to take a picture, which I never ask people to do, and he does. And, and Brian tells him he's a journalist. He takes Brian's card. And so I go over, I tweet the picture, and I write something, and then uh, Michael Cohen retweets it before I get upstairs, and then the uh, somebody from NBC calls Michael Cohen, I'm not even aware of this, and says, are you going to be on Tom Arnold's show? And he said, call Tom. He doesn't say, no, no, I just met him once, so that's it. He says, call Tom. So by the time I get upstairs, and by the way, he gave me his phone number, too. So by the time I get upstairs, Michael Cohen's already called me and said, hey, you need to call these journalists back for me and stuff. I just wanted to know that I'm not getting paid by Vice. I don't think that'll look good. So I'm like, okay, buddy. So we got a relationship. We got that relationship going. So now I know, you know, my whole thing is is fucking with Trump and making Trump. And I know Michael's is too. So then I blow it up bigger and I'm like, hey, we're doing this shit. And, and also that after I went back upstairs, my my friend who's on the show, Allison, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, she calls me. Oh, my husband's in the bar with Michael, and they're in a fight. So then I have to run downstairs because Michael Cohen is in a fight because some woman is giving me shit, and then my friend's husband. They're all drunk in the bar. So then I have to make sure they get up back safely to their room. This is the same day. And uh, everybody's safe in their room, and I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm sitting out in front of the hotel trying to gather my, you know, like by myself out there, you know, talking to Ronan Farrell uh, uh, and just kind of just kind of gathering my my thoughts. And, and uh, who, by the way, called me right back after I, I sent him the picture before I tweeted it. And then immediately he calls me back, and I just – and Brian Hyde will tell you, I just ignored his call because he had returned my call earlier. But, but that was just being funny. He's a funny kid. Anyway, so I'm sitting out there, and then I'm like, okay, those guys are in bed. I'm just going to keep you know, 
I'm going to keep fucking with Trump. And then, then I knew Michael would be, I didn't know how he would respond, but then he's all, his feelings are hurt. And there's a journalist that I know is very close to Michael Cohen. And I could tell before I went to uh, New York and I could, by reading her, and she writes for Vanity Fair, I could tell, I figured she was the most close person to him. So I got to know her. And then what I realized is this fucking dude watches every interview you do and critiques it. So I started doing interviews the next day, and I'm like, he is full on, uh, you know, I basically said what he ended up saying was, it's not about Trump, it's about my family and my country. And I am flipping, and I have tapes. And uh, because I knew he has tapes, because I knew that he they had talked about uh, hiring Keith Davidson to sue me for uh, for uh, Chuck LaBella, so I knew that's for sure. So I do, and plus I knew they had tapes, and and I knew he was flipping, and I knew he was going to do it for his family and his country. I just knew, I knew for sure that I didn't know if it was going to happen that day, and I knew that me and him were fucking with Trump. That's a hundred percent because we just took a picture of Trump. He knows it. I know it. He knows who I am. I know who he is. He knows what's going to happen. He retweeted it. For the love of God. So I I go big, and I go into Cole Wallace, then I do a thing on CNN where they – it's the funniest thing ever. You'll see on my show because they tried to uh, – first of all, I got CNN. They're like, yeah, they didn't let our cameras in here. And I'm like, oh, boy, they're going to they're gonna try to interrogate me. And so you'll see on our, on our show because as I'm doing these interviews, I'm aware that Michael Cohen is watching me do these interviews, as is my lawyer, as is – you know, like for instance, before the CNN interview, I got a call from a guy from the, the there was U.S. The connected to U.S. attorneys, and he gave me notes. He goes, "When you get to CNN, call M.J. Lee. She's a great uh, journalist there that knows the First Amendment stuff." So I got to CNN, and I said, uh, uh, "Is M.J. Lee?" And they're like, "We don't know her." <laughs> the guy's like, "But you need to get on the set really quick because we're running late." And I can see that that lady. Um, had uh, she's very nice. I can't remember her name, but she was filling in for the regular gal, and she had just a list of yes/no questions, and so she was going to rifle hammer me, and I don't blame her. And so, um, so I do that interview, and I pause for 22 seconds at one point, and just kind of, and she doesn't, she lets me pause on CNN live on the air for 22 seconds, and I, I just was looking into the camera, I was thinking. What can I say? Because Michael Cohen just read me after my first interview, and he's like he was happy with some of it and really bad with others. I had to tweet, "Okay, Michael Cohen and I are not taking on Trump." But then the second half of my tweet was, "I'm taking on Trump, who is an asshole." So what he didn't realize when he retweeted that, he was also tweeting retweeting me saying Trump's an asshole and he whatever, which is my whole point. It was inside of this double thing, and so. Anyway, I was I see an interview about halfway through. I realized, oh my God, he's going to be pissed off no matter what I say. My lawyer's probably going to be pissed off. Uh, I'm not going to be able to please anyone at this point with whatever I say. And I just took, a, I just paused and I was like, oh my God, Poppy uh, uh, McDaniel's or whatever her name, she's going to let me pause for 22 seconds live on the air. This is insane. And by the way. I didn't do a pre-interview before I went to see it. I didn't talk to anybody. They're like, just come over here. Hmm. Right. And so it was probably the greatest interview ever. And then I went to Lawrence uh, O'Donnell and just had fun. And, it's, and, and it was great. But So I do this. So then he said, we're going to hang out for the weekend. So then people... He was like, we are not hanging out for the weekend. He was texting me. And I'm like, you, you, guess what? We are, shithead. 
and because I didn't leave the hotel, like and people in the in the Fox News were like Tom Arnold lied. They were not. He overstated. He, of course, I overstated. But I guess what? I didn't leave the hotel. Like I was there. Like there's one restaurant, one gym. One, two, there's two elevators. Like every time he turned around, I was there. I didn't want to see him. I mean, it got so bad that uh, when I was walking through the lobby, I looked up and he's there. I'm like, God damn it. I put my <laughs> head down. He's like, Tom, are you not going to shake my head? Like, I was there and he knew it. Like, he knew that. And I'm pretty opposing. And he knew. I am very opposing. Let's be honest. Right. He fucking knew I wanted to fucking make the two to flip on Trump, and I wasn't going anywhere. Like you could say whatever you want. Like okay, it was just a friendly greeting with him and Tom. But seriously, I never left the fucking Regency. I was on the same floor as him. He wherever I was there the whole time. After all that, something truly extraordinary happened to Tom Arnold. A villain, a true villain, arrived at the Regency Hotel. But the workers at the hotel showed how people power defeats the power of dark money powered by white nationalists behind the Trump presidency. Because, yes, Steve Bannon showed up and he could have ruined everything at that very moment. And when Steve Bannon got to the Regency and checked in the 21st floor, the, the waiter came right down to my room and said, Steve Bannon is upstairs. Because the people that work in the Regency are the people that Trump badmouths and say, oh, Mexicans are rapists and they're whatever. And they've had it. And they're the people that these guys don't even look in the eye when they service their room or or serve them food. But they, they, these guys are paying attention. They're they're not going to cover for these assholes anymore. So finally, the last day of the regency. Uh, 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 I, by the way, I called Steve Bannon's room immediately because I didn't want him coming down to Cohen's room in case Cohen got soft and and, and saying, "Well, you know, I, I, I want to." Trump says he'll do this or that, so I wanted to be scary with Cohen too. So uh, so then finally, the week right after I left, uh, uh, Cohen met George Stephanopoulos. So it said exactly what, you know, you know you'll see in my text for him to say. Now, don't, everybody will say I had nothing to do with it, which is great. I'm sure I did, but it happened. And all I care about is it happened. The last day I was there, he, he, he texted up a liar, and I tweeted something. And then I said, I'm meeting you outside as soon as I take a shower to fight you. And I went outside to the Regency at like 9.05. And I sat there, and the concierge, who's the great guy named Mohammed, who's worked there 25 years, sat, came out there and sat next to me and smoked a cigarette. And then, like, four or five employees of the Regency came out there and sat with me. And that was my favorite moment. Like, there's no way he was coming out. And uh, But I was like, okay, you, you know, he, nobody's going to see this ever because this isn't for my show. But I'm going to sit here. And so the guys that work there that are actually the real important people are sitting out here with me. They got my back. So that was my favorite moment that you will never see on my show or on anything else. Tom Arnold, everybody. Tom's new Viceland series called The Hunt for the Trump Tapes with Tom Arnold premieres with a double episode released from the eight-part series on Tuesday night, September 18th. He's been on CNN, MSNBC, but you've got to listen to the Dworkin Report to know where his unique story has gone since his dizzying Midsummer Night's Dream this past June. We'll be releasing part two of this fantastic interview tomorrow, which we call Deep Inside Tom Arnold's Hunt for the Trump Tapes, which will be the only place you can find out more about his work before it's on TV. I want to thank my producer, Grant Stern, for all of his hard work. You can visit our website at dworkinreport.com. 
we strive to stay independent for as long as we possibly can. So if you can contribute in the top right, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. Onward!